let's get this podcast started. Time to talk about another show. But before we get started, we have a guest. So let's do intros. I nailed it. <laughs> you nailed it. That was beautiful. Thank you. Okay, <laughs> everyone, this is a special episode. We haven't had a guest in a while, and it's really exciting because we have a guest. Woo! As you can hear, we have George Parker. Hello. Hello. George is a legend. <laughs> that kind of sums it up. If I'm being honest, but George is a writer, a poet, fellow podcast host. Fuck yeah. Yeah. George, I know how much you hate this question. How are you doing? No. No. <laughs> oh my God. Um, I am. I, I'm, I'm still reeling from being called a legend, actually. I fucking love that. I will take that as a title. If yeah. I could be introduced thusly everywhere I go, that would be fantastic. You should um, add it to your email signature. <laughs> my email signature, which is longer than most of my emails that I send. Sure. Yeah. <laughs> that's how you know you've made it. Yeah. <laughs> you should send an email that's just K. <laughs> <laughs> and they're like the 14 lines of yeah amazing um I'm, I'm okay i'm i'm having some additional health issues on top of my usual disabilities which is making me a little bit frustrated um and then i don't know if you've seen but in the news today uh there was the announcement that the government's probably going to scrap most of the covid uh restrictions in our country uh, because it's all fine and the data shows that it's okay. <laughs> so let's just go back to normal. And, and that's making me feel a bit fucking uh, stabby. <laughs> so, stabby. <laughs> a bit stabby. So that's how I am anyway. Obviously, you mentioned you have some disabilities. I know it's not usually something that I personally ask about, but we are a disability podcast. Do you Woo! want to share what your disabilities are you don't have to we could just you could say being a legend is a disability in some ways <laughs> i'm just too cool for other people to associate with yeah that's yeah. it's a real disability um no i'm happy to share <laughs> i'm collecting disabilities um like i'm collecting <laughs> lines to my email signature <laughs> so i've got ellis Danlos syndrome uh, POTS, postural orthostatic tachycardia syndrome i get bonus points for remembering all of that uh me possible mcas ptsd and i think that's it um there's like little little like comorbidities like ibs and, and tinnitus and things like that but those are the main the main ones okay i know i'm really cool <laughs> that's like legendary disability stuff for sure how do you feel like it affects your day-to-day like um I, i've heard of most of those diagnoses already so i personally know kind of like you know at least the webmd version but everyone's <laughs> everyone's experience is always different yeah so i'd say for me it's mainly fatigue dislocations or partial dislocations migraines gastro issues brain fog and tachycardia and dis- dysautonomia so not being able to um like manage my own temperature or <laughs> um, th- things like that, things like that. Is that why it's always a bit of a minefield when someone asks you how you're doing? <laughs> yeah, because I realise that if you say I'm fine, 
non-disabled people kind of take this as an invitation to dump stuff on you or assume that you are genuinely genuinely fine and that like you can do all the things right and and so i've got out of this the habit of kind of going through the polite route of just saying i'm fine and being like well you know i'm shit but i'm okay how do how do you feel that people react to that do you think they're like this actually came up as a joke in our last episode we jamie and i started the intro i do my usual goofing around and then I think in like a weird sing-song voice, I asked Jamie how he's doing, and he's <laughs> like, let me tell you. And I was like, wait, no, you're supposed to lie to me and tell me everything's good. <laughs> but why? That's a good question. Why do we do that? Is it for ourselves to not be like burdened by our own things that we have going on? Or is it for the person we're talking to so that we don't feel like we're burdening them? Is it just because we don't have time? We're in an elevator and we're about to get off. So you say I'm fine so you can leave? It, there's an implied pressure to uphold a jovial mood. And there's a reality of disability that is uncomfortable for a lot of people. So to speak about it, frankly, um, hard. Unless you're in a group of disabled people. <laughs> George, have you found that... Do you have a, a many disabled friends yes yeah Yeah. i mean since the last two years i'd say um i've lost quite a lot of non-disabled friends so most of my friends at the moment are well probably most of my close friends at the moment are disabled because they're the only ones who know what we're going through at the moment yeah because they're the ones that can handle you when you say not that good yeah and i think there's there's something really liberating about one of my disabled friends texting me saying i'm shit my body's on fire. I love you. And, you know, like it doesn't have to be this. I'm sad because my body's not behaving itself. It can be, it's just a fact that my body isn't doing okay right now. Yeah. One of the few cliches I kind of ascribe to is it's okay to not be okay. I love, it's my favorite cliche. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Because it is important to, at least for me, I find vulnerability is like a really, thing yes and so if you're admitting your own vulnerabilities they just have less hold over you and then you can be a little freer but also just like you said you can be not okay in some ways but great in other ways at the same time Mm. like having a bad disability day doesn't necessarily mean you know you have a bad day or that you're bad or that Nothing about your day can be good. Exactly. Some of you know the best days I've had in the last couple of months um, have been really bad disability days, but I've made the most of it in in other ways somehow, which which is really good. And also, if I answer honestly, the people I'm around also feel that they can answer honestly and say, actually, I'm not doing okay, but like maybe we can have a cup of tea and just kind of like chill out and still have a good time. Yeah, exactly. Just like let it be. No, okay. Yeah. So before maybe jumping the gun a bit, but we're going to end up talking about the first season of The Witcher. And you, is it fair to say you write fantasy novels? I do write fantasy and uh, science fiction. I'm a little bit obsessed with both of those genres. Why do you think that is? I mean, there's there's so many reasons. I grew up, um, some of my favourite authors when I was growing up were Neil Gaiman, Ursula Le Guin. Um, So getting lost in those 
fantasy realms that they'd created was just such a, a, a wonderful escape for me, especially being an only child, especially like not having parents who'd always be like, oh, let's, you know, go around to another kid's house and hang out. It was, I spent a lot of time reading in my childhood. Um, and now certainly as a means of escape, it's fantastic as a means of deconstructing the world. And people like Terry Pratchett, who take all the things that piss them off about society and bludgeon them into the pages of a book and then layer over it some humour so you can actually kind of digest it. I think that's that's a fantastic thing. Um, and, and then learning how to defeat the monsters as well in the real world through going on a journey in a fantasy one. Uh, that makes sense because I something you, you wrote, it ended with a line, I'm going to butcher the quote, but it was something along the lines of, we can learn a lot from like fantasy worlds and bring that to help solve problems in the real world. Ah, uh, yes. Thank you. Thank you for reading something I wrote. <laughs> Sorry for butchering the quote. I've got no idea what it is. So you, you could you could have said anything, and I'd be like, "Yeah, that's that's really wise of me. Well done." <laughs> <laughs> no, but I was when I read that, I was like, "Huh," because I'll admit I'm not. A fantasy person. Hmm. I, I got into Harry Potter when I was a kid, which is like entry-level fantasy for everyone. Yeah, it's wonderful. Well, apart from the turf, turfy writer. But yeah. <laughs> yeah. Mm. <laughs> apart from where it went afterwards. <laughs> you know, and like some like Lord of the Rings, but just like super superficial fantasy. Like I wasn't, I never dove really deep. And I've been trying to figure out why that is because I have, like, I know you and I have other friends who really, really love fantasy. Uh, so when I, when I read that quote by you, I was like trying to sort of wrap my head around what you meant by that. And I think just now I kind of realized when you said you get to battle the real world monsters, or you get to learn how to battle the real world monsters by battling these fake fantasy monsters that makes a lot of sense yeah and it's it's really healing to to write it as well as read it i'm i'm sure it's it's an idea that's been kind of bandied around by many writers so i can't take credit for for uh, you know like saying something really wonderful but um i know i think neil neil gaiman's probably said it as well something um along those lines and uh like that horror is the playground where we learn how to defeat monsters in the real world or something yeah, um, yeah that definitely feels really uh, i really connect with that do you feel like that has related to your disability in ways like do you think that your writing of you know battling these monsters is ever inspired by your own coping with disability or vice versa where your the way that you handle a monster and a fantasy can sometimes inform how you handle your real life problems. It's a really good question. And as a disabled writer, I probably should have considered this at some point. And I'm sure I have subconsciously. Um, I don't have a clever. I don't. I don't have a clever answer for it. Um, uh, I'd say mental health issues like PTSD. I've definitely tackled in in my in my novel. My novel is basically about getting sexually assaulted, getting abandoned by the people closest to you afterwards, and then trying not to destroy the entire world because you're feeling very vengeful because of it. Um, so, so no, I mean, I my disability informs my writing, especially of 
villains, I suppose, in that I don't ever try and make an othered person or creature a villain because mm-hmm. disabled disabled people have been othered enough. And I think we've got far too many disabled villain tropes where, oh, they're, they want to wreak havoc on the world because they're disabled, because they, mm-hmm. hate, <laughs> they hate everyone. Although, the Witcher has a huge problem with that. It has a massive problem. Oh, I can't wait to get into that. Yeah. Um, but yeah, no, I think, I think that's something maybe I need to sit down and consider some more. Um, you said earlier that you've uh, um, disconnected with several of your able-bodied friends. Is that because of disability, you think? Like it's alienating to some extent to your able-bodied crew? Definitely. And it's a gap that's just grown ever wider as the pandemic has continued. Because you see people going out and partying. Mm-hmm. Or, or meeting up and you kind of question them about it and they say well it only affects the vulnerable or the old people or the people with disabilities and I'm like hi I'm one of those people exactly I have the same problem uh with my friends at home a uh, majority of my friends uh here are able-bodied there's not a huge disabled population in Thunder Bay Ontario and so um <laughs> I've been very isolated because my parents are also at high risk. Uh, they're both in their mid seventies. And mm. so I, I can count on two hands, the number of times that I've left the house in two years. Wow. I, I used to see my friends uh, several times a week and they're, they're very accommodating uh, of mm. me, you know, bringing me places in my manual chair and making Thunder Bay more of an accessible place than it would be where I, you know, did I not have a, healthy social life and COVID has definitely put a a damper on all of those things Mm. um, because I've realized that able-bodied people for some reason don't like to hear the word no from a disabled person. (laughs) Yeah, you're being really awkward. Yeah. (laughs) But you're you're not because you're just asking for a chance to not die. (laughs) (laughs) How dare you? It's a big ask. <laughs> it is for it is for some people, you know, to say, well, why would I sacrifice my Friday night to, you know, to reduce the risk of your health being impacted? Well, it's for me, it's a no-brainer, really. But for other people, they're like, no, oh, I want to go out and get drunk and dance and pretend life is normal. Yeah, COVID definitely helped with that in some ways because it sort of leveled the playing field, and people were. It made made some things more accessible, you know, like working and being able to teleconference. And and also, we've talked about this, how it has also given space for able-bodied people to kind of relate to the sort of standard of living that disabled people were accustomed to for years before COVID. In terms of being restricted to being in their houses a lot and being isolated. Yeah. Yeah, I think I still think it's a, a a false comparison in many ways because you know they're they're there still in their bodies, able to rock around and do what they like, albeit they're restricted to their house. And they know it's temporary. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And all those restrictions, uh, sorry, all those adap- adaptations that you say were made. Yeah, they were made so that able-bodied people could continue to work from home. We've been asking for those to be made uh, those accommodations to be made for years yeah and then as things start to open back up again we're starting to see them being taken away which is outrageous the the telecom that i work at um i worked there for 
five years until COVID hit. And every winter, uh, when I was brought on full time and felt I had some seniority to start requesting things and be accommodated, I said, hey, like, can I use a remote PC at home on occasion? And they're Mm -hmm. like, "Uh, we don't do remote work. And I'm like, "Uh, okay, okay, but you're a a telecom. And I'm at a computer all day. (laughs) And I know we have the infrastructure to accommodate this. So uh, can you please be less difficult? (laughs) And the answer was always no. And then COVID hit. And literally within two weeks, everyone was set up to do their job at full capacity, like, you know, as a web developer or Mm. what have you. And it's just so interesting how quickly able-bodied people were able to adapt. It's, I mean, you must find it infuriating. I definitely find it infuriating. It's deeply, deeply frustrating. But I don't know where to express that frustration, you know, other than here. (laughs) Podcasts and writing, I mean, they're fantastic tools for catharsis, really. Mm -hmm. One of your uh, quotes that I, I love, and this might be a bit of a, of a pivot, but you said that in a lot of fiction uh, that involves disabled characters, if a disabled person is introduced in the first act, then by the third act, uh, they will either be cured or dead. Chekhov's disabled gun. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And like uh, we have watched something like 52 or 53 of films or pieces of media involving disabled characters, hmm. probably about 15% of what we've watched have actually involved uh, disabled creators or disabled actors. And I would say uh, at least 80% of the rest of those movies uh, have killed off a disabled character <laughs> by the end of the movie. And I've always said to Anthony, like, why, why is it always a funeral at the end? Like, I, it, it drives me so crazy. It's so insulting. Yeah, we've talked about this quite a bit before you so eloquently put it in wheelchairs and wyverns. Is that how you say wyverns? Wyverns. Well, I say wyverns. I've got no idea. Yeah. What's a wyvern? It's like a dragon, but not a dragon. Mm. <laughs> have you have you found a disabled wyvern in the wild? <laughs> um, no, but maybe I should write a disabled wyvern. That would be, That'd be amazing. Yeah. Yeah, so you said that. And actually... The quote that I said was the last line of that, and the quote that Jamie ah. said was the first line of that. Oh my god, I love you guys! <laughs> That's so funny. <laughs> but um, yeah, absolutely right. It's it's sort of a great like litmus test for whether or not it's a good piece of media representation. Yeah, sort of like the disabled version of the Bechdel test. Like, I was just about to say. Yeah, like gives you a really good idea of the politics or how progressive or understanding the writer is when they're trying to um, explore, you know. Yeah, it's a it's a good metric. I feel like we need a quick, uh, like a quicker term from it. So I, like I always call it um, the disabled version of Chekhov's gun. I think we need like a Chekhov's cripple. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> no, no one's going to say that. They're going to be terrified if you're using the, uh, the C word. Do you use the C word? I use the C word. And in part, I use it because I uh, once got, uh, it was once used, well, it was sev- several times it's been used, used against me. <laughs> once by an abusive ex as well. Um, and I just thought I am reclaiming this word because I get called it often enough. 
when when we were coming up with the title uh, for this podcast, first of all, like we we were just kind of like whatever, we'll just call it something. Didn't expect it to even, you know, we were like not take ourselves very seriously, obviously. <laughs> and then so we threw it out there. Then it's sort of been this point of it's been a on loop in my head about is it the right move? Because we we've called our podcast Crippled Threat. And sometimes I feel like that alienates people from even just clicking on it or like the corporate world engaging it or anything like that. But it also does kind of have this welcomed sort of jarring effect, I think, on people where it just like unsettles them just enough to be open for the kinds of discussion we're going to have. Exactly. I I was just to build on that. Um, I recently put the podcast on my resume, uh, and I was nervous about the word being flagged by like uh, resume parsing algorithms because I, I was wondering like, am I going to be instantly disqualified for having this word in my resume in any capacity? Uh-huh. And I'm like, I'm like, but I need to say that I do a podcast because it's important to me, mm. potentially more important than the higher items on my actual, uh, you know, employment section. So <laughs> I was like, I have to include it. So I obviously just put splash symbols throughout the word cripple. You put splash symbols? Like asterisks. You did. That's interesting. So you asterisked out how much of it? Just the I. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Guess the word. <laughs> <laughs> I find that super interesting. Um, I understand why you felt like you needed to do that. Um, I think from my point of view, I love the title of your podcast. Um, we've got people over. They've been. They've done their COVID tests, so it's okay. We've got the doors open, um, and they were like, "So, what are you? What are you going off to do?" And I was like, "Oh, I'm off to be on a podcast called Cripple Threat." And they are not disabled. <laughs> they they looked at me like, "What?" <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Which is amazing, but I think there's a power in being able to use that word um, if you are disabled. If you're not disabled, like listeners, maybe don't. <laughs> yeah, it's a tough one because first of all. So you, George, you you call your do you call yourself cripple or you just use it as a word like in passing? I'll call myself a cripple and um, I'll, I'll use it with my disabled friends. Actually, around pretty much, um, <laughs> uh, yeah, no, I do use it in, in I guess everyday conversation as well. Uh, I feel a bit edgy if somebody who isn't disabled calls me a cripple. <laughs> Obviously, yeah, of course. Jamie, do you use it to identify yourself? Uh, well, I normally say I'm disabled. I yeah. rarely use, I <laughs> I rarely say the word cripple unless I'm with friends and it's been used before. Like mm. the, it, it depends how comfortable I am. And uh, some people will say it to me uh, for emphasis, knowing the power of the word, like knowing, I, I don't know how to put this. Like for the shark value? Mm-hmm. One mm. one coworker once uh, experienced a, an injury while cycling, and he said, "I feel like a like a cripple today, like in the lunchroom." And this is somebody that I love; like he's like a, a really good person, and his camaraderie has meant a lot to me in that workplace. 
And I just look like I looked at him. I glared at him until he realized what he said. And then we we both laughed hysterically. <laughs> and so I loved I love that moment. And from then on, there's this running joke that uh, I can give Jeff shit if he mentions <laughs> that word. And so that's OK to me. But I trust I trust that person. And I know from where he is coming from, like when he uses it. So that context helps. It doesn't make it entirely okay, but at least it offers a teachable moment for somebody that I feel mm. comfortable teaching, if that makes sense. I know that's not perfect, but oftentimes interactions about disability with non-disabled people are imperfect. Absolutely. And you you don't want them to freak out, panic every time they speak to someone who's disabled, because then we're not going to get anywhere. But I think yeah, to to be cautious about using any uh, word that has previously been used as the slur. If you equate it to some of the, the queer words, uh, derogatory phrases that we've heard. Mm-hmm. I know some people who have rec- reclaimed dyke or content warning, sorry, faggot, um, but others who, who absolutely cannot hear it without, you know, being really, really hurt by it. So I think it's it's got to be on a case-by-case basis. Definitely. How do you feel when somebody says, they are crippled with anxiety or, you know. Mm, like as an adjective, I guess that it, it has less, it has less of an edge mm. because it's not like an identity. It's like, mm-hmm. but I, I don't know. That's an interesting one as well. It would depend on context. It does feel very dramatic to be like, I have crippling debt. <laughs> <laughs> it's not a word that I even. Like before this podcast, I never used it. <laughs> and you've just decided to call a whole podcast. <laughs> and we just called the podcast Cripple Threat. And yeah, there is part of me that has always kind of, it, it, it was almost like if we call it this, then I'll have to face whatever thing, insecurity or whatever holdup I have that is stopping me from like, or that makes me sort of cringe at the word. Mm. I don't know if it's doing that, to be honest. Another so, title that we wanted to use was uh, Invalid Opinions, but that word feels way, way more hurtful for some reason. I I really hate the word invalid. And mm-hmm. as well, the fact that it's like spelt the same as invalid, like exactly. you're not a valid person, and that's how we've been treated throughout history. Yeah. Ooh. A close friend of mine uh, years ago uh, was just sort of like uh, staring blankly at my power chair. And he noticed he's like, the brand of your power chair is Invacare. He's like, does that prefix, the prefix Inva, is that referring to invalid? Like, what what the hell is that? And I was like, it probably is. Like, the company's probably been around since the 80s or something. And it was okay to name your company after a derogatory term. Yeah. So many people don't just, they just don't realize the um, etymology of these words. Mm. Yeah. It's, well, shall we get into The Witcher? <laughs> yeah, let's get into The Witcher. Okay. So, George, when we first talked, also shout out to Andrew for introducing us. Yeah. <laughs> um, obviously, we've had Andrew on. Go, watch, go listen to Disability After Dark. Support yeah, Andrew, but Andrew introduced us and we chatted and we talked about, obviously you knew that we always 
cover something for for uh, the episode, like some kind of media, and you suggested The Witcher. What made you suggest The Witcher? So I'd I just finished watching it. I, I've kind of caught up. I know I'm behind everyone else because um, they all watched it when it first came out, but I've only just watched it and I, I'd seen the first season and when we meet Yennefer, I was so excited. I was like, yes, there is a disabled woman who is in a TV show that everybody is talking about. This is fantastic. And then I think maybe towards the end of the second episode, I started to get a bit suspicious. <laughs> so at this point, at this point, I Googled the actress and then I see that they're like super stunning, able-bodied. And I was like, oh no, here we go. We're going to get check or scripple. Um, <laughs> she's going to be cured or dead. And then it just kind of got progressively more complicated. And my relationship to the show kind of, yeah, drew a bit, grew a bit more complex. So yeah, so that's at that point, I think I emailed you and I was like, hey, let's, let's chat. <laughs> yeah. I had a very similar sort of arc with the show. Also, we've had very similar arcs with many disability-related media where you were like, oh, this is going to be good. There's authentic representation. Sometimes Mm -hmm. it actually is authentic representation, but then even still sometimes just depending on where they take it or who's involved in the writing and direction, Mm -hmm. you get to the end of the show or the tv or or the movie and you're disappointed by the direction i feel like it's more than disappointed now like it's got to the point where there's so much ableism in my face every day in the world that when i when i tune into a tv show or a movie or a book and i just need some escapism to be faced and confronted with that again is like it i'm village villain origin story right here you know <laughs> like I, I can't yeah. handle any more um and i got burned with midnight mass as well i think again that was like mm. episode two or three where you think yes there's a there's a strong awesome disabled woman uh and then she gets cured and you're like what the fuck she was barely a character like she was more a device yeah, exactly and I was excited too. I was like, Tony, we have to watch this. And it's a full series <laughs> and it's really well written. It looks like it's going to be a very effective uh, horror. There's no jump scares. Yeah. So I'm not going to hit my knees on my desk while we're watching. Like it'll be fantastic. And yeah. then the disabled character was dressing. It, she was just a device to illustrate yep. the um, the restorative power of the vampire blood or whatever. And that was that. And it's so disappointing. Just, really disappointing. Just, yeah. The one example that came to mind very quickly, Anthony, when you're talking about being disappointed, I remember when we watched I Care A Lot, that first act, you thought it was going to be um, like a like a revenge thriller. Yeah. Where somebody who is the administrator of an abusive attendant care sort of dynamic uh, gets their comeuppance. And it really mm. wasn't that at all. And just like, the the sheer contrast in your mood from the first act to the rest of the film, uh, it was quite a roller coaster. I thought it had a lot of potential. Mm. Is a better title for that movie. <laughs> <laughs> so I haven't seen it, but those are the ones that hurt the most when you think you could have gone in this direction. Yeah. You could have given us authentic, good quality representation. And instead, it's the same old story. So... I guess back to The Witcher, when I saw it, again, like you said, what you think, and we play a game on this show called Wheel Breakers, where 
Um, basically, you get to give up your disability in exchange for some some loss you have to and and then you have to weigh whether that loss is better than the able body gained mm. and Yennefer kind of has to go through this a little bit in this show, but then again it it didn't really disappointed is a word I can use quite a bit when describing <laughs> my relationship with the witcher but George, I kind of wanted to see if you would give us like a overview or just start the discussion on the witcher because you are the expert in fantasy i'm definitely not the expert but um, the expert. but i i could rant the for legend. days on <laughs> the expert the legend i love it um so i i think yennefer's story is the reason it pisses me off so much is that there's disability issues and then there's feminist issues as well and she gets the whole shebang in one plot which is fantastic (laughs) (laughs) tearing my hair out for a lot of this show but I I will say I did enjoy The Witcher so so, um it's not all bad but I think it's it's interesting you've you've got the forced sterilization of disabled people which is absolutely icky and I say forced even though she is offered a choice but it's uh, like this false choice because it's going back to that kind of traditional idea of a woman has to choose either career or family. Mm. Um, A disabled person to become palatable and truly powerful has to somehow overcome their disability or or repress it. And it's it's just disgusting to have to see these same storylines again and again. So if do you want me to give you like a quick rundown for anyone that hasn't seen The Witcher? Sure, yeah. And for me, who has seen The Witcher and still doesn't know what happened. <laughs> um, so I guess first off, we're we're shown we're introduced to Yennefer, and it's the typical um, disabled people don't have any place in society. They're worth less than the price of a pig. Her father sells her for for the same price as a pig. I think. Um, I think it's less. less. It's less. It's less. Okay. Literally less. Literally yeah, like less. 40% okay. less or something. He's like, I can't get bacon for my disabled daughter. Oh, bacon. Don't get distracted. I'm going to get distracted <laughs> by bacon. Um, so then so then she gets uh, bought by this uh, woman who's a teacher at the witch's version of Hogwarts. Um, yeah. That's so true. I mean, it's, yeah, it's easy, easily sums it up. Uh-huh. And when she gets there, she kills herself because it's obviously so miserable being disabled. Um and being sold by your parents. And yeah, it is terrible to be abused and to be sold by family and betrayed by family and then just kind of have your power used by somebody else for their personal gain. But also I'm tired of seeing disabled people kill themselves on TV or in movies. So then they tease you and they give you a bit of hope because she starts having this like really hot, sexy relationship with um, with a wizard. And you think like, fuck yeah, it's really good to see a disabled woman really empowered and, and taking um, taking what she wants and taking what she needs and, and having really hot sex. It, it's worth saying too that um, I thought that this show was going to be full of sex because the video games are... <laughs> <laughs> the video games are famously uh, known for the amount of characters that you can court, I guess, as Geralt. Um, <laughs> so I really thought that there was going to be like sex in every episode. And it, it turns out that 
uh, Yennefer has the most. You know, like Geralt sort of reluctantly engages with some characters, but it sort of seems like he doesn't want to. But um, in any case, yeah, so she does have a healthy sex life, even with, like when she is disabled. So, Which is wonderful. Yeah, that, so that was a real plus for me for The Witcher. Um, but then we find out that the man that she's supposedly got this wonderful kind of love tryst going with is actually conning her. Mm. And that kind of sports it for me. And yes, I know that she's also conning him and they're spying on each other. But I think it it annoyed me that she couldn't just have this one thing where she was truly wanted and truly loved and that there had to be a side to it. And then he says something really unforgivable in my book, which is that she's just mad she lost her chance to be beautiful when he's referring to the ascension ceremony. And I thought, like, fuck you so much. Um, And she retorts that she just wants to be powerful, which I think is really quite awesome. She also says, I think, that um, her life and her experience is full of pain that he couldn't hope to understand. And so, um, but there's another little detail. Her, her, Her teacher... I think her name is Frangella, the woman, her, like the Hagrid of the Witcher, mm. uh, takes uh, Yennefer away. Yeah. She calls her Piglet, which is a reference to her having yeah. been sold for less than a pig. And the the respect dynamic or the power dynamic does not start to shift between them until Yennefer becomes beautiful or until she she has demonstrated her power. So there's this like, she's like a second class citizen, even amongst uh witches until she's mm. able to show how powerful she is and it's depressing yeah I th- that's really interesting as well we would um myself and my partner were driven mad by the fact that she kept calling her piglet because we're like she's chosen her she knows that she's got power within her and yet she's still enforcing this idea that she's less than that she's other that she's an animal or not even worthy of, of being that um and you know other things as well like the actress not wearing makeup when she's Pre pre transition is that maybe that's not the correct term, but pre ascension. Her her hair is also like she has kind of like her haircut is. I don't want to be cruel, but it's like a, like a disabled haircut. There's always a, <laughs> there's there's always there's always a costume that like poorly conceived disabled characters have in movies. Yeah, like, thinking of uh, uh, what's his name uh, that ab- abusive actor. I am Sam. Yeah, Sean Penn. He he wears. Uh, he's dressed in a very strange way in that movie. Like, uh, and it seems to me like they correlate his uh, costume design with his disability, mm. and that's a that's a pretty frequent trope. There's just the sense that disabled people uh, have no sense of style or are not permitted to be stylish. Yeah. Because they're because the way that they dress is pure function. Because typically they don't choose their outfits, and that's kind of true for a lot of uh, chairbound wheelies. For some people, yeah, I'd say that's true. But then equally, there's no correlation between being disabled and not being, you know, and being and being unfashionable. Like there's some of super hot disabled influences. Um, yeah, I myself have very little style, but. <laughs> But I think, yeah, as you say, there's a there's a disabled costume that people love to to put actors and actresses in, and that's really irritating to have to see because you're like, oh, this means that this person can't take care of themselves, or it, it's showing that someone is disabled, but not in a realistic way. It's in a way that's been interpreted by 
like directors and writers and it's yeah i'm over it <laughs> i think as well like the whole chekhov's cripple uh trope is quite well worn with for able-bodied viewers and so when they see a disabled character who they know is a primary character, mm. they're kind of waiting for that moment uh, where the like ugly duckling aspect is undone. Ugh. Like when when can I see what this actress actually looks like without like the hunchback? Yeah. Uh, and what you know, like what what is her facial symmetry when they correct her jaw? And like, you know, is she attractive? Like that that looming question is mm. sort of subconsciously there for a lot of viewers. Yeah. So I, I found myself actually kind of doing that. Like, you know, like the she's all that sort of the yeah. the romantic interest who's like nerdy at the start. And then oh, they take off her glasses. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Exactly. So it, I was watching it from that lens rather than like from a constructive, uh, you know, like story about a disabled person lens. Yeah. I just think that um, even as somebody who tries to be a conscientious uh, member of the audience and evaluate mm. Uh, these fictions critically i think i uh am susceptible to the trappings of tropes i've got i mean you're a human true good point (laughs) yeah i think um i i had hope when i started watching it and perhaps you're slightly more cynical that you're able to just you know assume that it's probably going to follow that same old pattern whereas i was like "Ah, maybe it won't maybe it's going to be she's disabled for the whole thing or like maybe they brush her hair but you know for christ's sakes like you don't need to change much about her she could have been fit without having that ridiculous transformation into supermodel booby witch (laughs) (laughs) um there's even a line like before uh i i like to refer to Yennefer's transformation as her big orthopedic surgery because they even <laughs> the scene where um they have this uh stylist come in or something and say like yeah I can totally make you beautiful and like live forever or at least longer than most humans or mortals mm. or whatever but he's like it comes at a sacrifice which I guess they uh he sterilizes he sterilizes her which is like a transition from uh, a visible to an invisible disability kind of i don't know if that's a fair correlation but yeah. the her transformation is one of the rare instances of body horror in the witcher uh and it is the most terrifying and this is w- in a in a show where they have like arachnid creatures and like freaky goblins and lots of blood <laughs> and gore and stuff so the fact that they make a, a like a wheelie's orthopedic surgery the scariest part speaks to i think uh able-bodied anxiety around disability potentially yeah and the idea that you have to endure more pain to to become successful as well and like if you're already experiencing trauma and pain as a disabled person then you have to willingly take on more pain and trauma so that you can get where you want to in society and be accepted mm-hmm. the the lore around the witcher also talks about uh magic being like the harnessing of chaos uh and mm. and, and witches are are conduits for for magic so it's almost like witchers and mages are burdened uh with this idea of shielding the human world from chaos so it's not not only that they are like uh, othered by their status as like these mutated beings but they're also responsible for protecting their oppressors from fucking chaos which is horseshit yeah but that's also that's also really deep and really beautiful that you just put it all together in that one little wow i love that 
I really liked this show, but it was more for what it made me think about than like what it, the conclusions that it was drawing, you know? Yeah. The, the last thing I'd say about the Ascension scene is the fact that if my memory serves me correctly, which it might not, uh, because that's one of my things, um, it's, it's split between, um, this, the episode is split between Yennefer's Ascension and also Geralt fighting the Striga. Mm-hmm. who is a like an incest baby that got cursed and turned into a monster so that is also that I also found problematic and I don't know what you two feel about it but having having a child of incest be made into something that is a monster and othered again when we've had so much mythology about disabled people being as a result of incest or sinful sex I really struggled with that and then having Geralt fight it and defeat it while Yennefer is going from what they've already kind of called, you know, piglet, monster, other, to beautiful. I feel like the two stories run parallel and I found that really uncomfortable. In that uh, B plot with uh, Geralt and the incest baby, what bothered me was that um, that creature was not given any characterization beyond being an object of guilt for those who conceived her. Yeah, and so there's like there's a tremendous amount of guilt I think uh, for parents of of disabled people who like I'm not saying this is true of my parents, but I, I think it does exist, and it's it's yeah. really unfortunate that, that the the creature was not given even dialogue. Like it's she's really just a special effects showcase. But she turns into a hot naked babe at the end of it. So right. it's all then, okay, right? <laughs> yeah, end of episode. Just end yeah. of episode. And the plot was more about the guilt of the people who had created her rather than her. Yeah. And the, you've got the father saying, asking Geralt, will, will my child be normal once you lift the curse as well? Mm. And it's, I was so uncomfortable with that. Mm-hmm. It's just, yeah, the, the two stories being mirrored in each other. Yeah, gross. I have this affection for uh, like dumb adolescent TV series that that uh, <laughs> deal with uh, freaks of the week. Like when I was a kid, I used to watch uh, the DVDs of Buffy the Vampire Slayer a lot. Oh yes, yeah. And uh, Smallville was sort of uh, was sort of a like a poor man's Xerox, Xerox of Buffy the Vampire Slayer via Superman. Okay. Um, and actually, it's kind of funny. Both of those series, uh, their production is mired in controversy now. But um, yeah. these were the shows that I watched as a, as a kid a lot. I am partial to these episodic series where the hero um, is tasked with uh, helping a monster of the week. Okay. And I think that's what, what The Witcher does. But it's it's supposed to be prestige television, and I think it's trying to be, I think it's trying to be conscientious of its portrait of disability, d- disability, despite all of what we are saying. Yeah, and it's really unfortunate to me that all of the creatures that Geralt is tasked with helping, uh, it's more that he's that he cures them or kills them, exactly like you say with, yeah. with Chekhov's cripple, and though he does appear to understand them, which is what makes him a hero. Like as soon as he sees a creature, he's like, no, no, that's, they are of this species and this is their problem. This is yeah. what they're going through. And this is how I can help them. We understand that he gets the creatures because he his he is himself mutated. It's just that he's mm. been given um, a familial structure through the 
uh, Kara Morgan through the, the school that basically um, brought him up from his orphancy. Yeah. And so, so he has this insight and yet he still doesn't help these, these pe- people like no creature uh, that he comes across uh, um, is treated and yet still disabled by the end of the episode. Yeah. That's the so we're showing someone who has got empathy for other other people, other other creatures, or you know those who are stigmatized in society, which is wonderful. And you think, yes, definitely hero material there. But you're right; he does lift curses or cure them or kill them. Mm-hmm. At least he tries, though, to maybe find you know like a, a reduction of conflict, and he's he tries to find a, a peaceable end for everyone, where everyone's happy, including the creature. But yeah, yeah, you're right. Um, this is a total aside. I've always been skeptical of the talents of Henry Cavill uh, because I really don't like uh, the Zack Snyder conception of Man of Steel. And he, he had another movie called Man from Uncle. And then he was like a, a B oh, character yeah. in, in a recent uh, Mission Impossible film. So I always okay. kind of wondered if he was uh, uh, like a, a himbo. Oh, <laughs> that's like a derogatory term. Um, I won't judge you. <laughs> apparently, he he loves uh, video games, and oh. um, I I see him in this series like really really trying to do the character justice. And there's mm. a couple aspects of his characterization that really surprised me. Again, I thought he was going to be like a rampant uh, womanizer, which I don't really think he was. I could be wrong, um, <laughs> but um, he, he does sort of imbue Geralt with a kind of a pathos or a detachment mm. from having lived for so long and just like sort of understanding the motivations of most human beings yeah. and like only getting involved in doing jobs and helping them for payment because he understands that emotional investment will just further disappoint him. And I'd love that the series sort of brings that across almost from the first episode uh, I also kind of like that he very believably is oppressed, like he very believably is othered. Whenever he yeah. enters into a human town, almost instantly they're like, "Get the get the fuck out of here, Geralt! We don't want your kind. <laughs> like we're 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 scared of you, right?" And yeah. um, <laughs> characters frequently refer to how bad he smells, how poor his hygiene is. I love which... that that he always smells like his horse. <laughs> exactly, exactly. Um, and yeah, like there are several like women in positions of power throughout the series who's who solicit Geralt, or at least one. Yeah. Uh the Queen of Sintra. And I thought this power Queen dynamic Cal- was Calanthe? Calanthe, yeah. Yeah. She's I yeah, I have a bad crush on her because she's not she's not safe. She's not gonna, you know, she's she's got very bad morals, but um I would definitely hundred <laughs> percent. Yeah, I, I I liked her too. Like uh, she doesn't give a fuck and she wants to solve all problems with the sword. Yeah. And which that's, is great. it's really great. And I, I found the banter between her and Geralt, uh, funny. Like there's <laughs> yeah. a, there's an interesting tension between them. Yeah. Um, and she doesn't take no for an answer, which is part of, you know, she doesn't take no in any context. But, um, the interesting thing about that was I sort of felt that it seems like people, are comfortable testing boundaries with Geralt because they already know that he's an other. And so they're like, like, what can he do? He can't appeal to a higher authority and say, this person is mistreating me. Cause they'll just be like, fuck off, Witcher, like go back into the woods or something. 
And so that was interesting because I was fully ready to think that The Witcher would be an ego trip for Henry Cavill. Yeah. Like, you know, he's the, he's the man who kills all the bad guys and sleeps with all the women. And just that wasn't the case. I think there's a really interesting dynamic and you can see a hierarchy of acceptability. So The Witcher, Geralt is obviously extremely sexy, uh, very capable. He's um, he's a mature man who yeah. has gained a lot of insight and wisdom. And yet still that isn't enough to be truly accepted and treated as as a, a, a real person by, by people because he has this mutation, I, I suppose. Um, mm-hmm. So yeah, that's, that's super interesting. Are we labeling Geralt as disabled? Yes, we fucking are. We're claiming him for ours. <laughs> nice. Can, can we? I think so. Yeah, it would be an interesting uh, disabled designation because it's like he is more powerful than a mortal and yet somehow still lesser than. Yeah. Like people know that he's disabled or mutated. Mm-hmm. And by virtue of that, they're othering him, right? Mm, yeah. But also... They respect his abilities. I mean, maybe arguably exploit him for those, but they also, he sort of like positioned himself as exploit me for these. Because he kind of, he's always like, just give me the money and I'll kill the monster and I'll be gone. Yeah, I think he recognizes his role in society and how he can be useful and people begrudgingly employ him because that's just the reality that they're in. They're in a world where there are monsters that terrorize villages um, or that possibly just need a bit of understanding and a hug uh, <laughs> from, from the Witcher. Um, yeah, it's, it's really interesting to see how he's treated by other people. I remember uh, a talking point in uh, one of your podcast episodes, George, where the point was raised that in uh, in capitalism, the one thing that you can truly offer is your your body. Yeah. And disabled people's bodies are different, and there's less of our there's less of ourselves to offer physically, and so we yeah. we can't participate in capitalism to the same extent as an able bodied person and i was sort of thinking about that in terms of the the witcher like it's kind of expected that Geralt offer his physique and servitude toward containing the chaos Hmm. and it's like almost to atone for being a witcher you must kill these creatures exactly it's, it's pretty fucked up you have a bit of extra power that the other that the rest of us don't and so therefore we're going to force you to use it for our benefit rather than for you to take control of your own destiny and do something different. Maybe, I don't know. Maybe maybe he loves it. (laughs) Maybe he does. I don't, I don't get the sense that he does, but he he could. In the first episode, even he's tasked with killing uh, a mage that he doesn't seem to want to harm at all. And very reluctantly because of the nature of the contract, I think he, Mm. he does. I feel like Geralt would be very happy setting up a ranch with magical creatures and outcasts in it and just kind of living happily for the rest of his days. So the through line or the the, the link between Yennefer and Geralt is that they, they've, they both have had very difficult upbringings. Uh, they're both uh, orphaned from their families and taken into institutions that ultimately did harm them and inflict trauma yep. upon them and made them in some way special or greater than but you often wonder if the cost of that of those special skills is is worth it um and so they are 
attracted to one another because of that mutual experience and also because they like as Yennefer says like all they want is to be needed mm. um at some point and I Geralt feels the same way and so he says to her and probably the most moving exchange between them right before he falls asleep he's like I do need you and that's the uh. first time in the series that Geralt expresses uh like uh, an unambiguous emotion or a degree of attachment to another person he does to someone that isn't roach <laughs> yeah exactly yeah he does express deep affection for yaskir but it's only when Yaskir's about to die or when he's like unconscious which is fair enough because he's he's kind of quite irritating i mean i love yaskir and i keep playing the songs like again and again at home you know we just walk around <laughs> singing them but um yeah their relationship again is really so quick total like detour but when I was kind of Googling stuff in preparation for talking about The Witcher, I, people online were like, oh my God, like Yasuke is definitely gay. And I was like, why do people think Yasuke is gay? How are they reading this as a gay character? Mm. And and then I started to think about it. And I thought like the cis-hets, cis-hetero like, people just are, any, any, anyone who is... Um, Anyone who is, I don't know, maybe a, a musician, for instance, or quite f- like a funny, comical, um, tension-breaking character, they're going to assume is quite camp. I did not read Yaskia as gay. Oh, did no. you? Uh, no. I, in fact, in the video game, <laughs> I don't know if it's dorky of me to keep referencing it, but in the video no, game, I love it. He, he is um, characterized as being a womanizer. Yeah, that's how I read him. Right. Maybe not necessarily a womanizer, but just having a prolific sex life with like with the ladies. He's a bard, you know? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And Geralt doesn't trust him because a lot of his decisions are governed by his pain. <laughs> yeah. I think I think pe- people are misreading that relationship between Geralt and Yaskia and seeing it as somehow like there's some romance there. And I just don't think there is. And I think it's so sad that people banish all concept of friendship, like same-sex friendship. Mm-hmm. And they just assume that there has to be some kind of like sexual tension when there, when there isn't. Sorry, back to the main point. <laughs> I agree. Like Yasker also what I think is the only character in the series uh, who is not self-serious uh, and who like makes quite a few jokes and mm. like appeals to levity uh, throughout so yeah i guess in contrast that might code him as more feminine which tr- like triggers yeah. like hetero people so I, I think there's a lot of instances in the, in the witcher where we are looking at just tropes tropes upon tropes and um kind of like societal gender norms and everything like that and, and when it comes to ableism it's the same it's all kind of ingrained and we we see those in the characters storylines which is unfortunate yeah it um by the end of season one, I sort of found the the union of Geralt and Cirilla, who we haven't really talked about. But oh yeah, Cirilla is the daughter of not the daughter, the granddaughter of Queen uh, Calanthe, um, who was promised to Geralt by the what the heck is it called? The law of surprise. The law of surprise. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> Um, and th- these plot details, I'll get muddied because it's the most plot heavy episode. And there's also something I like about this series. One more little aside. There's a there's a degree of non-chronology of events and the series yeah. doesn't tell you. It lets you sort of deduce that this is occurring. And I do like when when TV shows trust the audience with little devices like that. 
I, as a stupid audience member, should not have been trusted. <laughs> I got so confused. Yeah. I didn't figure it out till like episode seven. And that was after someone was like, just so you know, anytime there's a bard, it's in the past. And I was already at like episode five, still very confused. If it makes you feel any better, my partner is a barrister and he loves it when I say that. Uh, and I rarely say that. But my point is I'm using that as he must be like mildly clever, right? And he had to <laughs> Google what the fuck is going on with the timeline? What's going on with the chronology? And I was like, it's you, you just have to pick up on the references of like when the war with Sintra was and, you know, when all these other things happened, but it doesn't make it easy for you. And so a, a couple of points I found my, myself frustrated. But yeah, on the whole, I did like that. It's exemplifying this idea of the sort of relative immortality of Yennefer and Geralt. Not, they're not yes. immortal, but they're, but they don't age as quickly. And yeah. so that deception works because it's, it's our realization that they don't really age. And so therefore their existential crisis around like life lo losing meaning because of, mm. because of them not really being vulnerable to the passage of time. Yeah. It does kind of cement it a little bit which I did like. Absolutely. Yeah, no, I thought that was, I thought it was really clever. And actually, once you figure out what the fuck is going on, <laughs> it, it does, as you say, it brings, it brings that out and it makes it a lot clearer for the audience. I think that Yennefer, at the very end, when she has to unleash her inner chaos in order to protect the people that she's protecting. Hmm. The mage guilt? Yeah, with yeah. everyone. <laughs> yeah but yeah she basically had to like look deep inside herself unlock that you know conduit nature of hers and just let her i guess trauma get the better of her so that she could like harness it into energy and like you know spells and make fire and when that was happening i kept thinking that this was going to be the moment she realized that it was okay to be disabled because I thought that she would, in using all of her energy, she realized all of her, you know, quote, deformities would mm. reform and she yeah. was going to become disabled again and then realize she was most powerful when she wasn't devoting some of her energy to trying to be able-bodied. And I think that would have been sweet. That's that awesome. Did I, mean, I really, I really like that. I had exactly the same thought. That's what I thought was going to happen. And yeah. There same. were a couple of times where, like, they did a close uh, up on her face when she's like spewing fire at everyone. And I was looking for that lump to yeah. come back on her lips. Yes. Same. Exactly the same. And um, I, I think you're right. Devoting. As disabled people, I feel like we're always, unless we're really on top of it and really aware of it, we're always devoting some of our energy, our precious energy, which is such a limited resource, yeah. to trying to fit in, to trying to appear a certain way. Uh -huh. um, I know I know, I'm definitely guilty of it. Uh, <laughs> but it would be lovely if we could throw that off and just spend all of our energy doing whatever the fuck we wanted. Yeah, and realizing that you're probably going to be more powerful, whatever that means to you. Mm. If you fully embrace yourself and you're not trying to be someone you're not. Yep. And that's really where I thought the, the show was going to have this really redemptive arc for me. And mm. it didn't, which was uh, 
again, disappointing, but if I rewrote it, that's how I would have ended it. <laughs> you could do a whole podcast on if we rewrote this film to be disabled person friendly or positive. Yeah. I'd love I'd love that. That would be that would be awesome. Um one uh point that I wanted to raise before uh, Yennefer's transformation, before her orthopedic surgery, the glow up. <laughs> there there's a moment there's there's a moment in uh in oh sorry guys I'm losing my words. That's okay. In the there, richer? There's a <laughs> <laughs> No. <laughs> there's a moment right before uh where she's like staring into a mirror with Frangilla mm. and Frangilla uh starts monologuing about how you can do whatever you want past this point. We have the ability to make ourselves in whatever w- image we like, and we don't have to mm. abide by any standard. And I thought that was quite hypocritical because the 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 beauty standard that uh, Yennefer chooses is the societal one. So it's like, yeah. well, if she can make herself in any way that she wants and be authentic, then why not not have the orthopedic surgery to begin with? Well. I can see why at the beginning of the show she would want to do that because her life had basically been formed by her disability. Mm-hmm. She'd been outcast pretty directly as a result of it. And mm. so it makes sense when you're like, I can make all of this negative energy disappear if I just look like an able-bodied person. Mm-hmm. And I would have been fine with that if they did the thing at the end where they made her realize it was okay to be disabled. Would it have been different if, so if instead of changing her appearance, like instead of that, you got a wish and then your wish was ableism disappears from the world, which would pretty much have the same, it would have the same impact, right? You wouldn't have that burden of having to deal with everyone else's perception and assumptions about you and the prejudice, but without transforming her physical self. How do we feel about that? I'm trying to imagine what the world would be like without ableism. That would be, yeah. it would almost be shocking as a disabled person to see how quickly, how drastically the world would change after that. Like if I could make a wish and just mm. be like, okay, ableism's gone now. <laughs> like I'd go outside and feel like I was in the Truman Show. It would be, it would be weird. I would be, and I have this reaction frequently, but sometimes I end up feeling embarrassed when I'm accommodated. And I think that's what would happen. Like internalized ableism would express itself as embarrassment, which I would know is problematic, like from my own, like processing of disability, but I couldn't help but feel it. I think the only way I could do it is if I made the wish ableism disappears and I forget this conversation. (laughs) <laughs> ableism disappears but also internalized ableism disappears yeah so then i go outside and i'm like oh wow this is great something must have happened but i don't feel <laughs> <laughs> yeah so i've got a couple of weird ones that have no correlation to anything we're currently chatting about but i have i have, I have a few more thoughts one of which is the uh the hedgehog man that I can't remember his name that Siri's mother is in love with the whole law of surprise kind of thing is centered around how do we feel about his kind of appearance his storyline the reaction to him and how he looks and the fact he's been cursed to look a certain way and that's the maybe one of the worst punishments that they could enact I, I gotta be honest 
when I saw this episode, I immediately thought of that terrible reality TV show, Sexy Beasts, (laughs) where they put ridiculous prosthetic makeup on people and make them look like, again, maybe because I'm not a fantasy person, it was a little distracting to see him like that. It felt, all, all I saw was a man wearing wild makeup yeah and i wondered what i was supposed to feel as well i wondered if a non-disabled person would would be like oh my god he's so ugly and disgusting oh how could you possibly look or or if like actually because i i just thought so what like everybody looks different she loves him that's really sweet yay but there's like a point i think where they embrace while he's still a, a creature yeah and so it's like what's the difference but then it's also kind of the same with yennefer like She's still powerful. She still has her mage powers without the corrective surgery. Like it's yeah. purely aesthetic. Yeah. You know, it does kind of make it feel like in order to love a disabled person, you have to kind of just hope that destiny's going to take over and they're going to walk out of bed the next morning. It's the the frog turning into the prince or the beast yeah. turning into the, the handsome prince. Wow, there's like a theme going on in there. Um, yeah. If I love him as this disabled person, good for me. And then imagine when he becomes able-bodied. <laughs> yeah. It's creepy. Yeah, it is. There's a weird aspect of the whole thing, too, where the hedgehog invoked the law of surprise on the bride's father. Uh, because he saved him in some war. And then mm. so the, the father didn't know, I think, that uh, Calanthe was pregnant. Mm. So that means that the hedgehog is pursuing a relationship with a woman who he could conceivably be the father of, right? Yeah, yeah. Because he would have been at least 18 during that All battle. All kinds of weird. So it's very odd. But then the show doesn't seem to depict an age differential between them once the hedgehog becomes human. So I don't really get it. Yeah, I was a bit confused by that as well. But I think a lot of the things of The Witcher, you just kind of like go with yeah. because it's it's too hard to, to fight. Yeah. Oh, there are hedgehog people, I understand. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's cool. Do you think, I didn't even think about, was he supposed to be hideous or was he supposed to just be like different? Because I, I never was... felt grossed out by him. Yeah, it was kind of cute. Yeah. Like if they did a live action Sonic the Hedgehog, he would have been appropriate. Exactly. Like, oh, he just looks like a guy with too much hair gel in. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Just um, like a toasty yeah. boy band member. <laughs> Aesthetic beauty really plays like a big part in The Witcher. And you can you can see, you know, who's acceptable and who isn't acceptable. And a lot of the time looks is the, the margin. If The Witcher existed in our universe, is it? 300 years ago? No, it's 1200, according to Wikipedia. Sorry, not 1200 years ago. It's said in 1264 or something. Uh, Okay, yeah. Okay. Speaking of the 13th century. No, no, I'm kidding. But I've just finished a um, a historical kind of fiction. Yeah, historical fiction trilogy. And it's in the 1500s. And um, spoiler alert, I'm gutted that Thomas Cromwell dies. (laughs) So I've spent like the last the last three days like crying like Thomas Cromwell is dead and it's like yeah it happened in the 1530s. <laughs> <laughs> Give it a few more thousand years, you'll be over it. <laughs> if we were going to rewrite this show, what would you guys do? I love your idea. 
like your whole revisionist ending, I think, like fits. Mm. I just, I kept thinking that there was going to be a moment. Well, first of all, there is the sterilization. So at the very least, I thought she'd be like, you know what? I want kids. I've lived this able-bodied life. Maybe I'll just go back to being disabled and mm. then I can have kids. And she uses her witchcraftery to get it done. So apart from the initial issues I have with her being sterilized, because I, th- I think... I think as well, like in some respects, yeah, it's really good because it shows how tough it can be as a disabled person in terms of getting bullied and then having to make difficult choices between this and that. But also we've got a history of sterilization. And in the States, for instance, it's still legal to sterilize disabled people. Uh What the fuck? Yeah. yeah. Surprise. Yeah, really. Um, Is it legal in Canada? Asking for myself. I I didn't. I didn't Google. I think now they're a little bit more... um, there's a, a few more restrictions in terms of somebody has to give consent, but before the lines were were super sketchy, and you you saw there's there's all sorts of horrendous cases, seventies, eighties, nineties, I think even noughties of disabled being steri- disabled people being sterilised against their wills, either because their carer or parent decided that it would be easier for them if they were sterilised. Like, for instance, there was a case of a six-year-old girl who had a hysterectomy because her parents decided she would then be easier to take care of. What? Just so fucked up. Yeah, 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 yeah. Show me later. <laughs> sorry, I was like, sorry, I could go off on one about eugenics and sterilisation. And it's- No, I didn't know that at all. And now I'm terrified that someone's going to come knocking on my door with a needle. <laughs> I don't think so. But a lot of the time people were told that they were getting appendectomies and or, or they just weren't told anything at all and they were taken off for, for surgery and having like vasectomies or hysterectomies. So Jeez. look this shit up. It's horrendous. What was my point? I, I'm sure I had a point. Well, your point was about the sterilization. Of- oh, yeah. Hate it. But also at the same time, it, I guess it's good because it kind of highlights these issues that if people care about disabled people at all, they might go away and like do some research and figure out the whole world has this horrendous history um, of of treating disabled people as not in charge of their own bodies, which is which is awful. The things I would change, maybe instead of getting a glow up, she would have a body that she's like that she's physically like. If it's hard for her and painful for her to walk around with deformities, then by all means, like, don't feel that you have to continue with your disability just to make a point so she can make it physically easier on herself. But maybe just try and not have all the glam going on in her beauty and just see what that like, see what that's like to have a disabled character or like, even if she's just a little bit disabled still, that would be great. They really seem to position it as her being like, no one's ever looked at me, so I have to make sure I go so far the other way that no one will never not look at me. Mm. Again, I kind of feel like it would be okay if she does that and then realizes some point later on that that was all wrong, that she didn't need to do that. Because mm. I, I, I respect the idea that you kind of... I, I mean, we've played Real Breakers a bunch of times on here. And often mm. we've chosen some ridiculous scenario in which we get to be able-bodied. Yeah. It's easy to say, yeah, I want to be able-bodied. But then I bet you a lot of the time we'll get there 
And I'll be like, you know what? It wasn't like that. Yeah. I wanted that for her. I wanted her to, because then I think disabled people would be able to relate to, you know, try some things you can't change. So just make the best of it. Exactly. Able-bodied people would hopefully also see disabled people are not that bad. Maybe we can make the best of that. It isn't the worst thing in the world to become disabled. Yeah. Yeah. It seems to me that the show is saying that no matter what Yennefer does, because her experience is rooted in disability, she will never be whole. Yeah. Um, So like you can be like uh, immaculately beautiful, but now you can't have kids. And that, that is what will... That is what will consume you for the rest of your days, which are, relatively speaking, infinite. So good luck with that. And so I would like her to realize that a, a, fi- a familial unit is still possible, but it just won't be conventional. So I don't know. Yeah. I, I don't mean to diminish the tragedy or the pain of not being able to conceive, because I know that's very real for a lot of people. But mm. also, like, she could adopt, you know, like she could help a great many people. She could yeah. still be a maternal figure or a parent of some kind. And so uh, that is possible. And same goes with Geralt. Like, I'd like to see a story where he uh, refuses to cure or kill a beast, Mm. uh, where he takes a moment to connect with that beast and understand the context of why the beast might be tormenting a local town. And so he's just like, fuck you humans. I'm not containing (laughs) your chaos. Like, Like, this person is just fine. Uh, we kind of saw that with the elves. Yeah, the the hungry Dobby guy, right? True, true, true. That's true. Okay, so I yeah. want more examples then. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Well, that's the thing. We we want more and we want more. And we, yeah, I mean, I know Yennefer can't be everything for everyone, but it'd be nice to see a woman who isn't defined by her ability to have children. Uh, not all women can have kids, as you say. And yeah, that's tragic. But also let's let's show chosen family. Let's show adoption. Let's... There's so many different ways it could have gone to give some reassuring, authentic and comforting representation for a lot of different groups of people. And it it didn't, it went the traditional route. I guess also most obviously it would be fantastic to have a character with a disability on the show and for them not Ah. to be a a creature. That would be cool. Yes, please. I like this idea of there being a disabled person who exists functionally in a kind of feudal society. Yeah. Uh, so in a world where there are no ramps or like, what does that look like? Cause I think game of Thrones really fucked that up. Uh, do you think so? So I thought game of Thrones and I, I'll admit I haven't seen game of Thrones, but to have a man who is disabled, who is in power and is allowed to be, you know, fully embrace his power while, while maintaining his disability. I think that's fantastic. Oh, okay. So I, I agree with that, but I also like, um, I'm forgetting his name now. <laughs> Are you talking about Bran or Bran. Tyrion? Bran. I'm talking about Bran. <laughs> oh, so the show kind of doesn't know what to do with Bran, like from a visual or like cinematic. Bran broken. That's what they call him. Okay. So, he, like, he, I don't want to get too into Game of Thrones because that'll just go on forever. But <laughs> um, I, I was just sort of frustrated with the, there being, especially in the final season, a lot of static shots of Bran just kind of sitting there motionless in his wheelchair and having kind of no, like having agency, but only like uh, telekinetically. So it's the trope of like, okay, well, he's the same, oh, no. but at least he has like metaphysical abilities. Yeah. Which I thought the witch, yeah. And that's kind of silly. So it, 
And, and I, I was constantly joking with my friends, like, what do they do when he has to pee? Like, they literally have him in the middle of this open field and they push him everywhere. And it's, I don't know. At the end of the series, they also designate Bran like, like the authority of all authorities politically. And, but then they never actually show what that looks like. So I was like, oh, that's a uh, pop out. We're definitely going to have to do a whole episode on Game of Thrones because there is a lot of disability content in that as well, just with both characters. Uh, but yeah, Brand the Broken for sure. And Peter Dinklage also being the only actor I'm aware of who's been cast in a role for a, dis- for a non-disabled character, but he mm. plays a character whose disability does not impact the narrative. Yeah. Which is, yeah, that's what we, we just need more, lots more of that. And I don't know if you see, but recently he's come out um, against the Snow White film. Mm. That's, oh my God. If, yeah, if anyone's got time, go and read the tweets that he's written. Because I'm excited to cover that because it's going to be great content yeah. for the podcast. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> I bet. It's all fun for you. But George, I liked what you were saying about if Yennefer's glow-up was like a more creative solution. Because I think that's a good point, is a lot of disabled people, myself included, sort of set their their self-identity based on what they lack in terms of the standard able-bodied person. When realistically, what we should be thinking about is what those, quote, things that we lack mean in like a more holistic sense because then we can find creative ways to achieve the same result without just being able-bodied without overcompensating mm. yeah and so if Yennefer had thought of more creative ways to overcome the things that she felt her disability was you know preventing or limiting her mm. ability to do that's a terrible sentence <laughs> Yeah, if she was more creative, then it would give disabled people a bit more optimism, I think, in their ability to create a world that is accessible to them, yeah. but it's also within their reach. Yeah, absolutely. And not just kind of fit into this cookie-cutter, hot, hot woman stereotype kind of thing, which is like your options are either you are the disabled person you were born as or or hotty mip hot tits you know yeah. <laughs> like it, it could have been like she she kept there's so many different variations that she could have gone with but i i also understand why having been so abused she probably yeah. would have gone with that i just i just really hate like that a lot of the rest of the witcher is her in pursuit of a way to have children as well because it's so reductive and it's yeah it feels like it was 1200 years ago um, yeah. I think part of the reason I thought that it was going in the direction that I wished it went, but it didn't, was because of that whole thing, which I kind of liked, where the magic had to come from something. So, like, in order to create something, something else had to be killed, basically. Yeah. And so, like, there were, at the in that last fight, there were a lot of mages that were basically just killing themselves to do magic. And yeah. I found that to be a pretty cool, or and not cool, but interesting, <laughs> like an interesting trade-off that they had to decide what they're willing to give up. And that's when mm. I thought Yennefer would be like, oh, I can be 
more powerful if I'm not holding on to this idea yeah. persona. Saying that as a, a point in the series where she has this kind of character evolution, though, where she stops acting solely on a selfish basis and starts actually acting for the good of other people as well. I thought that was quite interesting. Yeah, very cool. Any final thoughts about The Witcher? Um, I loved it. I think there needs to be an awareness that the representation out there hasn't traditionally been favourable to disabled people. Um, so, it's, yeah, I mean, this isn't me just coming for The Witcher, but, um, yeah, we, I'm not saying we need to have, like, an unrealistic, shiny, happy ever after for every disabled person, <laughs> but there's got to be a balance, and we've got a long way to go before we redress that balance. Yeah. Like we were saying at the beginning, life isn't always going to be good or pleasant or easy yeah. for a disabled person, and that's that's okay. Yeah. It's realistic to expect, and it's realistic to live with that, and so it shouldn't be either you're disabled and your life is miserable, or you find a way out of disability to make your life less miserable. You should be able to say, these are the negative parts of being disabled, and these are the ways I'm navigating those things. Yeah, definitely. I will say I really like that Yennefer is inherently unlikable to a lot of people because <laughs> mm-hmm. I don't want angelic disabled people. Um, I, I think we we get infantilized, fetishized. Uh, we're made as villains. We're made as something to fear, hate, or pity. And I think the fact that she's just like so resolutely, I'm going to do whatever the fuck I want. Okay, albeit within the confines of an ableist and misogynistic society. Um, I think that's really quite powerful. And so I respect her for that. There's a moment in the series um, when uh, Geralt realizes that Yennefer only helped him with Yasker's injury so that she could obtain the the djinn, the genie. So she could ask the genie for her, for the ability to conceive. And, um, and Geralt starts to tell her what can happen if she meddles with this magic. And she like, I can't remember the line exactly, but she she nails him with this like, oh, you're going to tell me how magic works, motherfucker? And it's like, <laughs> tell me again how things work. Exactly, how stuff works. And it was so, <laughs> yeah. like, like, I love Geralt and I really like her, but that moment was perfect. Like, they have mm. such, I think why I watch the show is because those two have really great chemistry as well. Which yeah, absolutely. Which kind of holds me for sure. But, um. I would say as well, I, I really did like The Witcher, all the problems notwithstanding. I'm excited and I believe yeah. in the show's ability to potentially address them. So I'm going to keep watching. Yeah, um, same. Yeah. Yeah. I forced myself through it, but by the end, it was enough to be like, all right, let's see where this thing goes. Yeah. Yeah. So, but I mean, again, I'm just not built for fantasy. I'm not really sure what that means, but. Like my notes for today's episode, I just reread them again. You can tell how unseriously I was taking myself <laughs> while watching this because I wrote Gerald of Riverdale, <laughs> Yenny from the Block, <laughs> Lilf Guardian Leviosa. <laughs> and that was all of my notes. <laughs> Oh my god, that last one got me. That's amazing. I, th- I, I, I will say I don't like all fantasy. I, I couldn't get into Game of Thrones because I saw dragons, and I was like, no. And this is ridiculous. As someone that loves dragons and loves, you know, myths and creatures and and fantasy in general, there's dragons in The Witcher. Yeah, I know. And 
I didn't watch the I didn't watch The Witcher for a long time because there's this like um, cutesy light fantasy that's really popular at the moment, which I have to be in the right headspace for. Whereas you give me the dark, creepy fantasy, and I'm all over that. Like I love horrors. I love Neil Gaiman and Stephen King. I think that's a very particular type of fantasy that I can get my head around. But maybe you're not watching the right kind of fantasy that's going to engage you. Okay. Do you have like a? Because I did like Harry Potter. Yeah. But I think even for Harry Potter, I I read the books when I was a kid, so they just held like a different place for me. Yeah. This is silly, but would the Brandon Fraser mummies be considered fantasy? Oh, yeah, definitely. Okay. Also, well then, Bre- yeah. Brendan Fraser, like, yes. Yeah, those were great movies. Just the best, yeah. Those movies <laughs> have a swashbuckling joy about them. I just yeah. love them. <laughs> Absolutely. I also get scared easily. And oh, I was just thinking, don't don't watch any Stephen King then. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I have to watch some of the Witcher episodes. I had to rewind and then put subtitles on because I was like, what are they saying? Yeah. Well, thank you so much for taking the time to watch it if you weren't going to watch it already. No, yeah. I mean, thank you for suggesting it because it was something that I wouldn't have watched otherwise. <laughs> and it, it was good for me. I know when we spoke, when I said like, yeah, let's let's chat about The Witcher. And you were like, I haven't seen it. I thought, oh no, I'm... And I said to you, please don't watch it on my account. Don't watch an entire season oh. of this TV show. I mean, I did draw the line. I was like, we'll cover one season. Yes. And then if we want, <laughs> we can have you back on for another season. Yes. I'd love that. Do you guys want to do a real breaker? For sure. Yes. I don't have one right now, but I'll try to think of one. I'll try to think of one. Wow. So it looks like Tony's going first. Yes. Okay. <laughs> Wheel breakers. <laughs> that was outstanding. Wheel breakers. I'm gonna make you both able-bodied, but just like we learned in The Witcher, you can only make a spell and gain something while something else is lost. So unfortunately, you lose the ability to laugh, and instead, you sneeze. When you think something is funny. But not only do you sneeze, you sneeze obnoxiously and you can never stifle it. Like you can't <laughs> you can't sneeze into your elbow, you can't <laughs> sneeze into your hand. It's just a full full-bodied sneeze every time you think something's funny. Do I have to sneeze into my present company? Like I can't even sneeze away from them? No, you can't stifle it. <laughs> it's just Whenever something's funny, wherever you're looking, wherever you're facing, that is the sneeze. That that means I could I'd have to stop hanging out with you because I'd just be sneezing the whole time. <laughs> oh, do I get the endorphins still? Like, do I still feel good? Yes, you still get the same feeling that you get when you laugh. But it is it's a it's a sneeze. Everyone around you <laughs> knows you're sneezing. And you especially during COVID, it might be a little oh, difficult yeah. to start sneezing randomly on people. That's so, a good point. I was already leaning this way anyway, but I'm gonna go with no. You keep your your able bodied offer. Thank you very much. I will stay <laughs> disabled. I love laughing. I just love laughing. It's yeah. 
I'm not saying laughter is the best medicine because I fucking hate it when people say that to me when I'm in pain, but it is, it's really good and I wouldn't sacrifice that. That's pretty good medicine. I, I was just laughing at the thought of there being an entire comedy club full of an audience. (laughs) 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 Whenever you tell a joke, they just all sneeze at the same time. It's amazing. So I don't know if I would take this. I also enjoy laughing. Uh, but if I do get the endorphins, I, I think it would make me very socially awkward. It would alienate me. Do you think you'd be able to explain it to people? Like, oh, guys, it's like, I still think it's funny. And I like it. It's just. <laughs> it would seem like I was allergic to humor. Yeah, <laughs> that's true. I don't know, man. And I and I would have to sneeze into them. That's really uncomfortable. Well, it's not if you're looking at them when you find it funny then yeah, you would sneeze into them. But you don't have to like purposely turn towards them. (laughs) Or you could. You could. You could make that part of your thing. (laughs) Um, Yeah, I think I'm going to have to say no as well. It it would be too too compromising, too uncomfortable. I would say no just because my sneezes have never brought me much joy. Like sneezing uh, is so pitiful for me. I guess as an able-bodied person, I would have like a full diaphragm, so I'd get those real table-smashing sneezes. Yeah. But... I was about to ask you an insensitive question. Is that okay? Yeah. When you sneeze, is there a risk of your head, like falling off your headrest? No, because of the fact that I sneeze so weakly. Let me (laughs) do a perfect impression of my sneeze right now. Okay? Okay. This is... This is a very big sneeze. <laughs> no. Yeah. Wow. That's it. I I don't know. If that was my sneeze, I think I'd, I'd maybe... Oh, no, because laughing, the belly laugh, and, like, everything hurts a bit, and it feels really good. Yeah, no, I, I still want to laugh, but... No, you wouldn't want it. It's a very subtle sneeze. It's very good. It's very easy to stifle. Yeah. <laughs> but then people would also think I'm never laughing. Yeah. They would tell right. me a joke, and I would just be like... that was that was like proper bitch face when he did that as well (laughs) you are you are not funny (laughs) one of my favorite things about sneezing though is that you get to like you can scream in public when you sneeze and (laughs) (laughs) people don't bat an eye they're like oh he's okay he just sneezed yeah. So there's there's like a bit of an outlet there, I gotta be honest. I like how you said one of my favorite things about sneezing. Like you have a Yeah, like there's list. many. Well love it. Like it can feel good. It's one of those autonomic reactions that feel good, mm. you know? Yeah. yeah, people have told me that sneezing is like one eighth of an orgasm. Yeah. And I don't think that's the case for me. <laughs> we've yeah, we've just seen your sneeze. Like I, yeah. that would be gotta be honest. Didn't do much for me. (laughs) (laughs) I think it's all for me, like, sneeze. When I sneeze, it's really dangerous. I've dislocated ribs and my jaw and, like, various other body parts while I sneeze. So, so like, oh, no, no, no. This is great. From two disabled people, that was, like, a look of concern, and I love that. And it's, like, for me, it's not. It's just, like, oh, every day I'll probably dislocate a rib or a jaw, my jaw or something. But um, Uh, Do either of you want to do a wheel breaker? Do we want to just end the round? (laughs) <laughs> okay uh it's really terrible and it's not you, like you can tell i'm not a clever person um 
I will make you both able-bodied, but um, every day Donald Trump will sit on your face for 20 minutes. 20 minutes? Tw- 20 minutes. Yeah. 20 minutes? <laughs> 20 minutes on your face. Wait, do I get to choose what time of day? Mm, yes. You can You can have a, a teabagging with your 11s. To be honest, I don't know what I was hoping to get out of that question. <laughs> <laughs> that doesn't really help me. I don't know when I would choose. So my question would be, how many cheeseburgers and Diet Cokes has he had up to the point of the face sitting? <laughs> uh, none, but he has been jogging. Oh, God. <laughs> maybe that's maybe that's unrealistic, but maybe doing some of the, the dancing that he did while he was on his campaign tour. Oh, right, right. <laughs> um, well, it, that, like that would also, because it seems like he hasn't jogged or done any cardio in about 25 years. He's gonna so be he's going to be in rough shape. Very, very sweaty. <laughs> he's going to need to sit down. Yeah. And things will, <laughs> things, his, things will be moving too, you know? Like, oh. You know what? Maybe, maybe you should do this, Jamie, for Donald so that he can become more fit. <laughs> <laughs> Give Donald a chance, a reason to exercise. Exactly. <laughs> I love that. I was, I was, I'm a serious writer and poet, I promise you. Uh, <laughs> I've asked you the most ridiculous question. I was thinking if there's some way that I could like, uh, make it really uncomfortable for him and he's more uncomfortable than I am uncomfortable, then maybe it's like a sacrifice for the greater good. You could grow a unicorn. I could go. Oh, there you go. Oh, okay. I'm going to say no, but like, do I get to remove the unicorn like after the sitting session? Okay. Uh, I will make you able-bodied and you get a unicorn horn, which is not removable. And do I have to tell people where the horn has been? <laughs> <laughs> no, no, no. It could be your secret. <laughs> you can tell because it's orange, though. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god! Can I can I pick a different question? Can I come across as like more like serious and intellectual? <laughs> and and <laughs> no, this is good. This is really good. This is exactly where we want to go. Jamie, do you have a quick one? Uh, I I don't. So, hang on, I don't think Tony answered. Was were you a no, Tony? Oh, yeah, you're right. I didn't really answer. You tried to get out of that. I did really try to get out of that. I, I tried to get out of thinking about it, to be honest. And it gives t- uh, Jamie time to think of one. So I, yeah, I, I mean, like, I would have to, no, I mean, like, I'm, I'm even trying to visualize a world where I could make this okay for myself. <laughs> and I can't get there. Because you're like, well, maybe he could do it while I'm asleep, but then you just wake up feeling violated every day. Yeah, I would know that it happened. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, if I could, like, wipe it from my memory. And then I, I, I bring someone into my life, you know, I start dating, and then I have to explain to them yeah. that this just happens to me. Yeah. I'd be like, yeah, uh, sorry, uh, just before dinner, Donald's going to come by again. going to sit on my face for a bit. And then, where do you want to order from? Yeah. Yeah. It's pretty intense. Yeah. There's no way. You know, when um, non-disabled people are like, oh, becoming disabled must be like so terrible. It's the worst thing ever. No, because now we've got this question. Exactly. <laughs> Is it better to be disabled and or, or have Donald Trump sit on your face? And I think we've all said, stay disabled. Definitely stay disabled. 
Yeah. They, and that is a thing that's happened a lot with this game. We've we've realized that our disability is not nearly as bad as we think when we hypothetically give it up for some ridiculous yeah, situation. Exactly. Which is lovely to realize. Yeah. All I can think of are like uh, like super pedestrian scenarios. Like you have to be a jaywalker? <laughs> yeah. No, I was going to say you get to be 100% able-bodied, but you have to be <clears throat> you have to be a mutant in the Witcher world and there's a chance that Geralt of Rivia will hunt you. Oh, hunt me for sex? <laughs> <laughs> Good question. It can, it can go either way, even according to the show. But I mean, you, th- there's still a chance you can negotiate with them or plead your case. But the fact of the matter is, you're a mutant in the Witcher world. Okay, well, so I think he's fairly compassionate sometimes. Yes. I think my powers of charm will uh, stand me in good stead. I haven't got any. Oh my God, I'm doomed. But <laughs> like, there is a... So, okay, we've we've accidentally introduced a complication, which is that I could have sex with Geralt of Rivia, which is <laughs> confusing matters. Like, he did have sex with one of his targets in the first episode. So it could totally happen. Or, I mean, it doesn't even have to be in a sexy way, but I could be like, look, I'm I'm a, you know, mutant for the greater good. Like, we could team up and I can also do good things. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we could change Geralt's, like, perception of the harmfulness of mutants. Yes! Yeah. We could decline a cure from Geralt and be like, dude, like, it doesn't have to be this way. <laughs> yeah. Save your complex much. Yeah, <laughs> exactly, yeah. Yeah, I'm. Uh, so I'm going to say um, yes on the basis that it sounds it sounds fun. Fuck it, why not? Yeah, it does sound. Uh, so you made it too kind of. <laughs> I I know I, I didn't the, the stakes. I didn't make the stakes high enough. Okay, well I, I might challenge you because I don't know if I would take it because you don't like fantasy. Well, because Geralt might be sexy with him. Yeah, I don't know <laughs> if I want that. No, that's fair. Consent. I'd appreciate him sitting on my face more than Donnie. <laughs> also if i'm being honest i'm probably gonna live longer as a disabled person now in my current life than i would being a mutant in gerald's gerald of riverdale (laughs) if i was living in 1200 a.d or whatever it's supposed to be but you're you're every damn next to Gerald fighting mages and spiders. I don't think I would fare very well. Well, I mean, you could always be a bard, a bard mutant. Yeah. I would probably more likely be a bard, obviously. You'd be a great bard. I I could see myself playing a banjo. And you're quite sassy. Yeah, you could introduce Gerald to Mary J. Blige. (laughs) (laughs) That would be fun if I could just, because I'm living from the future, I could just make up all these hit songs exactly that already existed and just be like, yeah, I wrote this. It's called Family Affair. Mm-hmm. <laughs> That'd be sweet. If I could be a bard, but I'm a mutant bard. Yeah. Yeah. I don't really know what that means, so I'll take it. Yeah. <laughs> uh what does it mean? Oh, I haven't seen too many examples of mutants in the Witcher world. What kind of mutant? If you you're like a what's the one that's like a vampire? What do they call it? Do they call it an upir or is that in a... How about you're a hedgehog? Well, then, yeah. I'm, okay, okay, okay. So I'm a hedgehog bard. Yeah, like... 
honestly, I think that would just help me become more famous as a bard. Yeah. Like, there'd be so many regular old bards, and I get to be the one hedgehog bard. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Okay. I, I would invent Witcher Instagram, and I'd be... It's <laughs> amazing. And I'd be yeah. a hedgehog humanitarian slash writer. Slash... We took it in very different directions. Yeah. <laughs> Can I also be a witcher? Because that's technically a mutant. Yeah, but then you'd have like uh, a childhood of trauma. Bring it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, being the witcher, so I, I always fantasize in uh, when I'm watching shows like this, I always fantasize about being able to just like take a bunch of soldiers at once in a fight, in a sword fight. Yes. It looks really satisfying. Like I would, seven guys yeah. run at you and you're just like, I'm chill. I got a, <laughs> I got a dagger. Yeah. I'd love to do any kind of like martial arts training or like any, any you know, because it just looks so cool. Um, but then my body reminds me because I always think, like, <laughs> oh, maybe, maybe I can do it and it'll make me stronger. And then it doesn't. It's Yeah. What makes you, what doesn't kill you doesn't make you stronger. It makes you weaker or more in pain a lot of the time. <laughs> that is true. You should re- rewrite that song. Is that a song as well? I thought it was just a Nietzsche. Yeah, yeah, it's like Kelly Clarkson. Oh, okay. Oh, that's no, I haven't. I haven't heard it. Don't judge me. It's all right. Thank you. You can judge me for having heard it. I've got a friend that kind of like drip feeds me bits of modern music, but otherwise, I kind of live in my own little bubble. What do you listen to? I was gutted when Meatloaf died, and I know he's a redneck and was a vaccine anti-vaxxer and COVID denier, but but like Meatloaf was a huge love of mine. Um, Pink Floyd, Led Zeppelin. Amanda Palmer, like, <laughs> yeah. We're, you know, we're pretty similar. I'm, I'm very, very into classic rock. Nice. When Meatloaf died, I had my friends over and we sang Meatloaf karaoke. <gasps> that sounds amazing. Yeah, it was fun. I did that too, but in my kitchen alone. <laughs> oh. <laughs> it's not quite the same. Oh. Did you do both sides of Paradise by the Dashboard? Obviously. Obviously. Nice. <laughs> I feel like we could have a whole podcast episode about meatloaf. Oh, yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. And the food meatloaf, too. So good. So I've never had meatloaf because I'm English. <laughs> we don't really have we don't really have meatloaf. Really? Yeah, like, what is meatloaf? Is well, it... I feel like the name is pretty descriptive. <laughs> <laughs> it's basically a bread loaf pan okay. filled with ground meat. It's kind of hard to sell it, honestly. <laughs> okay, if you're making like a hamburger. Okay, that kind of meat. Yeah, and you kind of add that like a binder and some spices. That sounds amazing. Yeah, and then you just form it into like a bread loaf and then you bake it. It's an oversized meatball yeah, in the shape of a loaf. Why Why do we not do that in this country? Why don't we? Gosh, that, God. Yeah. <laughs> that seems like a major flaw. Of it does. Yeah, just just the only one in England. Maybe you could start like a meatloaf factory. Yeah. <laughs> in honor of meatloaf. Yeah, the first English meatloaf. Yes. <laughs> Amazing. Thank you. Well, thank you, George, for coming on. This has been really, really great. You're really great to talk to. I, I really do appreciate the way you digested The Witcher because... You really did have a lot of valuable insights for it. Thank you so much. I would actually really like to have you back on when we cover the 
second season. I think that would be fun. Oh, yes, please. I would love to come back. And I think they're doing a season three, just saying. Okay, well, <laughs> I'm going to have to pace myself. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but not, not too much fantasy in one go. I, yeah. Um, but yeah, let's do the second season in preparation Amazing. for the season three. Yeah. Hopefully we can get ahead of season three so that maybe we can cover season three in a more timely manner. Amazing. I've like I've literally had the best time talking to you too. It's been so, it's been so much fun. Thank you. Yeah, it's the honor is all ours, I'm sure I can speak for Jamie. No. Thank yeah. you so much for having me. Um same here. Uh, it's been an awesome conversation. Yeah, this is really fun. Where can people find you, George? I know you launched a Patreon recently. I did launch a Patreon. Please subscribe. Tell everyone about how they can find you, how they can get in touch with you. You can stalk me on social media, uh, on Twitter at A underscore George underscore Parker, on Instagram at A underscore G underscore Parker. Um, Those are my two main places where i've got a link tree and you can find everything else but i am on patreon as ag parker where you can subscribe become a patron of mine listen to my podcast you know early get a free book get some other cool shit so Mm. (laughs) yeah and yeah come come and find my podcast as well amazing what's your podcast called i I should probably actually give the name of my podcast (laughs) (laughs) it's ag parker's cabinet of curiosities and it's uh, an inclusive podcast focused on uh, marginalized creatives and their art and life and stuff. So you can find me on Podbean, Spotify, and Apple Podcasts. Amazing. People are definitely going to reach out, I know, because you have been great. This has been a lot of fun. I can't stress that enough. I really do look forward to keeping in touch and seeing you again sometime soon. Yes. All the best. Hopefully, the situation over there improves it either will or we'll all die (laughs) (laughs) let's at least cover three seasons of the witcher before that happens that'd be amazing (laughs) i'll I'll make that my goal that's the only reason to to keep going through this pandemic thank you (laughs) thank you so much for having me i've had a really really good time yeah thank you take care everyone bye bye